New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today, two guests are going to be with me to delve into the story of Umbrella. Uh, Michael Foley, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. And Dave Halden, thanks Morena. for coming along. Hello, Paul. Um, look, this, this is uh, really interesting for me. Um, Umbrella Connect, which is, uh, I guess, one of, the, one of the parts of the Umbrella brand, has been uh, one of our show partners for the New Zealand Tech Podcast now for a few few months. Um, but myself and, and our listeners, I, I think, have varying probably levels of knowledge of um, the broader Umbrella brand. Uh, it's a, a name that's only been around a, a, f- a few years since a, a rebranding, um, but the business has been around for a long time. So I'm keen to hear a little bit of sort of the backstory and then this transformation that the business has, has been through because... You know, this year especially has has been a, a year of, of change. I think uh, an increase in, in pace from a transformation uh, perspective. But I, I so often have conversations with people um, about the need for really everybody involved in business, anybody in any sort of you know employment, that we all should be wearing this hat of a futurist and we should be thinking ahead and and planning how do we succeed in the in the longer term, whether it's you know individuals sort of you know, planning their, their career, um, you know, youngsters that haven't entered the workforce thinking, well, how do we make sure we put ourselves in the right position? And then obviously those that are that are in business, involved in, in business investment, um, need to be doing, you know, exactly the same thing, you know, even, even more so. Um, and I think there's a, there's, a, there's a lot in your story that's obviously, uh, you know, been, been very strategic and very, very forward-looking and you've, you know, quite recently completed, you know, quite a big change in the business. So, um, but Michael, maybe you can give us um, um, a bit of a background. Tell us where, you, where you've uh, you know uh, been in the a little bit your, of the your, your history, role yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, some yeah. of the, some of the history of um, of the business. Well, why don't I start actually by um, by going like way back past past my the beginning of my role here? Um, this thing <clears throat> really started. And you talked about transformation, the um, and it, it sort of is the the operative word right through this thing, right from its beginnings, I guess, because uh, the origins of uh, what's now umbrella. Um, really sort of came about in the, the mid to late 90s um, in, the, in the decade after the internet was switched on by uh, an old colleague, John Holker, down in uh, Waikato University in 1989. So um, um, the emergence through the 90s of these garage ISPs, if you want to call them, mm. call them that, um, with many of them, which were literally garage ISPs, you know, a few servers in a garage managing some domain names and uh, <clears throat> and as, uh, as people started to play with the web, um, set up websites and so on, and then hosting websites and servers and sheds and, and what have you, and and that's that's really where the journey of this thing began. began. And uh, and if you sort of fast forward from the nineties to the early two thousands, um, the constituent parts, and we'll get to them in a second, um, <clears throat> they started to. Us to, to delve and dabble in um, virtualized infrastructure management, um, you know, for basically for organisations that were starting to do stuff that was a bit more sophisticated with the web um, and so on, and they were just kind of outgrowing that noisy neighbour shared hosting kind of thing, and uh, and so they started dabbling with that as well. And then if you fast forward again right through to, to 2014, um, that's when I became involved, um, and it's also where uh, our backers, Pencaro Private Equity, um, came came into support um, the acquisition of two uh, of these domain manager web hoster virtualized infrastructure players it was DigiWeb that was based in Christchurch and WebDrive based here in Auckland and um, uh, those two uh, those two businesses came together uh, and a year or so later were rebranded uh, Umbrella um, so um, uh, you know I think probably to, to, to round out the story um, and Dave of course came along about a year after that um, that initially as well uh, we had one business and and that one business was was all of these propositions kind of meshed into one thing. Um, and uh, when Dave and I kind of got our heads together four four years ago, four yep. years ago now, um, we um, we stood back from it and said, you know, there's actually two propositions here. Um, one's about online. One's about you know the whole purchase journey of a new business with a, a new idea, um, grabbing its little slice of cyberspace, uh, cyber uh, real estate, if you like, with its domain name, doing its website 
site and all the rest of that stuff um, and, and doing its business. Um, and, um, yeah, and at that time, there were close to 90,000 of those customers, mostly small businesses, which, of course, the economy is built on here. Um, the other proposition that we had really was surrounded that, uh, that infrastructure management, um, and this is basically cloud. I mean, effectively, those managed services and infrastructure managed services, out of data centres, um, were a private cloud. Um, and, of course, they are the forerunner to public cloud. And, um, you know, Dave and I basically said, we've actually got a different proposition here, you know, to the online piece. Uh, and uh, and that's kind of where the germs, the germination started for um, what we now know as Umbrella. Um, it's worth saying the um, we are singularly focused now on the cloud business. Um, about uh, a month ago, uh, we completed the divestment of the online part of the business to web.com. Um, and uh, so that's made us more perfectly formed, um, you know, solidly backed, um, and uh, without some of those overhangs like debt and so on, so on and so forth, uh, and in position because of the stuff that Dave will talk about a little bit more, I suppose we both will, um, um, to really kind of put the afterburners under this, this cloud proposition um, at, at exactly the right time, um, to, to our mind, the exactly the right time. Yeah. So that's a bit of a potted history. Yeah, yeah, yeah look, it, it, it's fascinating. So... Um, what do you think it was that Pencaro sort of saw in terms of the opportunity to you know to invest? Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's always interesting with um, you know, businesses where there's a, you know, a, a reasonable sort of element of technology in mm. terms of looking at how well investors maybe understand you know what they're buying into yeah. and um, you know, I have a few conversations with you know with, with people down this track and yeah you know, we see um, some businesses and Dave and I were, were, were chatting yesterday a lot about uh, Tesla uh, when, when, when we caught up and you know their, their, their fortunes which from an investor's perspective um, you know if you've been in a reasonable uh, period is, you know has, has panned out reasonably well um, although very heavy leaning there I think in and investors, um, you know, being being very um, you know tech sort of savvy uh, themselves, um, but you know often. You know, investors aren't yeah. that very well look, sort of switched on from that for that perspective. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's actually fair to say that um, when uh, when Pencaro came in, I don't think for a moment they had hidden in their minds that we'd be doing this cloud thing. Okay? Yeah, and I yeah. think it's fair to say um, the thesis was very much about a market roll up in that yes. in that, con- that sort of combined proposition space, and um, you know, market roll ups. Um, and many of your listeners will have uh, either been directly involved in or or been you know, um, around the edges of and tied up in um, mergers and acquisitions and so on. And, uh, you know, really the thesis there is that you can put things together, you can extract some cost synergies, um, and you can take the best out of propositions from however many parts you're putting together um, and create something that's sort of one plus one equals something a bit north of two. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was really the thesis. Um, But, you know, I guess they really bought into um, and fulsomely bought into into the megatrend which we decided we should follow. Um, and effectively, it was sort of saying, well, with this sort of data centre-centric um, uh, virtualised infrastructure management stuff, um, we're starting to compete against the hyperscalers. You know? Yeah. And obviously, yeah. The, the hyperscalers have been around for, what, 12, 13 years now? With yeah, AWS 14, 14. 14 years. Um, yep. Yeah, so um, it's... Um, um, Beyond the maturing yeah, technology yeah. platform now, but certainly you know four years ago when we kind of conceived mm. this direction, um, the adoption curve was just starting to steepen. You know, just starting to see little bits of churn um, away from that kind of more data centric private cloud stuff into public cloud. As you know, here in New Zealand, as that adoption curve really started to sort of kick in, right? So the indicators were were becoming yeah re- reasonably clear that. Customers wanted to make that transition that they were, you know, hosting locally within New Zealand. Yeah. You know, they could see the the, um, the benefits, which are, you know, I guess would vary in, in each yeah. uh, you know situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of you know moving those off into the the Amazons and Microsofts and, and yeah. Googles and IBMs of this world. Although I guess IBM, are, I mean, you know, arguably, I mean, they have a local data center, haven't they? And mm-hmm. uh, or, or various ones over. Uh, you know, over a long period of time, um, locally, so that they've, they've, I guess, got their their own story from a yeah. um, transition and a failure and a success perspective well, as, the, as well. The, and it's a good thing you mentioned indicators because there were 
the indicators were kind of twofold. There was a commercial indicator, which was there was a definitely not a race to the bottom, but there was massive commoditization of traditional workloads. Um, hosting had been operating systems, storage network and compute for the last 15, 20 years, and we cloudified it to make it abstracted away from physical stuff into virtual stuff. But the realities were operating systems were becoming highly commoditized. And it was becoming more and more difficult for service providers to make money off them because of the competing nature of the price the price point. And the realities were we were either going to get eaten by uh, you know these hyperscale providers, which which is the nature of a lot of businesses these days, or we choose to eat ourselves now and we get ahead of the curve. And that's that was the that was the pivot point uh, four years, actually less than four years ago, really, like three years ago to go, let's cannibalize ourselves and our own business before we get cannibalized for the best interests of the customer. Because New Zealand needed a leader in that space. And no one was jumping into the blue ocean from what we could see. Yeah. And look, I, 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 I think cannibalizing, you know, eating eating your own business model and starting a new one is is, is absolutely sort of key. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not about walking away from customers. It's actually about pr- providing them with an opening, do you know what I mean? An opening to the to the future where the actual mega trends are flowing. Yeah. And, and this is the thing that Probably most organisations face to one degree or another. Yeah. Uh, what was what was the thing that really yeah helped you make that decision and and just get on with it? And I guess you know it's it's taken you know, a, num- a number of years to make that transition. Yeah. Um, but you know how did you how did you actually you know cross that line? Uh, you know with your backers with, with yep. your team and you know how did that actually um, come together? Because that, that's you know that's quite a quite a big deal um, and obviously it depends on on the size and the scale and you know so many factors in terms of how easy that's going to be and I remember you know I've had had discussions with all, all sorts of you know organizations uh, met, met with the uh, the founder or not the founder the um, the inventor of the digital camera who, who was mm. at you know Kodak and you know obviously their story they didn't you know quite quite get things right you could say uh, you know, I talked to um, somebody in the in the bank sector a little while ago who you know basically said look our, our, our you know business is going to burn to the ground if you know if we don't uh, if we don't change and transition it but you don't necessarily actually see those changes uh, take, taking place so how's yeah. that, how did that all pan out I think there's a couple of there's a couple of things that there definitely weren't alarm bells but there were indicators of the strategy that we currently have and if we roll that forward five years how that actually plays out and if you were to listen to Microsoft, AWS, and Google, all the guys, the answer is always landing with with them. Um, The realities are you need a partner who can, and I'm not going into a sales mode, but you need trusted sets of hands to take you on that that journey because the speed of which these technologies are can create value for business is just exponentially fast and unless you've got a massive depth of um, IT team in your organisation as New Zealand's built on such a small business you can't keep ahead of it so the indicators for us were well hang on we're one of the largest hosting providers in New Zealand we're buying loads of kit we've got massive relationships with VMware we've got our own data centres how does it impact us before we you know in terms of our investments and then actually if we're having that same thought process, how does this impact our customers that are leveraging our services, which at the time and our own services maintain to be traditional hosting. We're not hyperscale technology providers. So to answer your original original question, like the indicators were if we look at the numbers and the compound growth of cloud revenues in New Zealand at the time, when we looked at this, it was around 600 million a year, forecast to get to 2.1 billion this year, which actually has out-accelerated that. We, someone needs to be in a position to take the customers to that place and be obsessed about helping them on that journey so we can maximize the share of wallet that we can support on that journey. And that was the indicator. If, if our product lines are not growing at the same as the market, then we have to do something to change to get ahead of it. And that was ultimately the, the binary decision that we that we made, all underpinned by the fact that if we don't do that, we can't continue to serve with the same levels of service and the same levels of quality that we have done for the past 20 years. That was ultimately the, the pivot point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. And, and look, I think with with uh, to, to your question about um, what sort of brought our backers along with us and so on was the opportunity uh, and it's a clear opportunity and, uh, and it's sort of borne out um, for an exponential 
business rather than one that can kind of steadily grow. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of traditional web and online stuff and so on. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Um, it prints money. I mean, for anyone that's in that business, it prints money if it's done well. Um, but it's not an exponential proposition. And, uh, and clearly, return on investment, um, you know, underpins a lot of our decision making and certainly for your backers. Yeah, yeah. So was that a was that a long you know process? I guess you know what did it look like in, internally between the you know the, the two of you look, and, we business and your, very, you know very quickly, your CFO and so on. Yeah, you yeah, were able to move and, through um, Yeah, yeah, and uh, but yeah, because the imperative was there. I mean, we're at a, we're at a point where we we had to say, look, we've either got to invest heavily in our existing paradigm, yeah, or do something different. And it was quite binary. You know, we had to had to make that choice. Um, our backers kind of quite clearly saw that. Uh, it was very clear to us. Um, so, um, uh, and then the, then there came really the decisions about how do we go about this and how do we go about this in a way that um, causes us to not fall in holes um, that others may have fallen in. Um, not with the same not the same situation, but similar yep. you know analogous situations. And they are things like um, fundamental decisions around: do we build stuff or do we buy it? Mm. You know, so they all build versus buy. Now we very clearly came down on the we're going to buy as much as we can. Um, do we uh, do we bring forward capability? Um, you know whether it's kind of system stack capability, business model capability from our old world and morph it into the new, or do we put an air gap around this thing and actually build it fresh? Um, and we decided on the latter, which yeah, frankly was pretty bold, um, and in the short term involved more investment and more pain, more decision points, and more pivots, and so. And Dave can go over a few of those because mm-hmm. there, there were a few yep. pretty pretty substantive pivots, and um, uh, yeah, and, and essentially we, we said, you know, well, let's let's build this thing brand new with a with a uh, and effectively what we built was a, um, a serverless business model inside a business that was all about you know, total DNA about servers. You know, so uh, you know, SaaS platforms like Salesforce and, and Zoora and others that um, that we've we've built our system stack around. Um, yeah, yeah was, that was a um, the, the air gaps are really the right reference point of we have an existing business let's create employee number one of the new yeah. world which Michael um, moved me into a role of head of cloud at the time which was to gear that startup within an existing business that's been around for 25 years and we created a a brand new culture inside an organization that was pure cloud native and what that means in reality is everyone's on board with the fact that we are going to take customers to the cloud and deliver the technology for tomorrow's world that, that customers deserve and that created a kind of just a snowball effect of building a team that went one to two to five to ten now to 45 individuals that are driving driving that forward and um, did we screw up along the way absolutely did we make some decisions that weren't you know the, the best ones at the time it, yes and there were you know and that, that's how we've grown to what we've done to, yeah. today yep. um, and scale or, or lack thereof kind of helps us there too yeah, yeah, because well, you can react. It's easy, easier to deal with screw ups at a smaller scale than at a larger scale. I'm, 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 I'm picking right. It's not not quite so painful. Um, look, every every screw up carries repercussions, and it, you learn from them. And that's the main thing with all of the team. And um, for those of the team who are listening, they know that screw ups are encouraged because the fact is we learn something from the back of them because um, they're pushing the envelope of you know customer adoption and new technologies and things that we ultimately need to be ahead of. And if we're not going hard enough, then we're in a safe zone, which means we start to have competitive yeah. competition, which isn't which yeah. is great. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact is that if you've got a team that's highly accountable and are there for the good of the cause, then actually failure in any any sense is a, I, I, I encourage encourage it. Um, I, I was talking to someone a few weeks ago and we're talking about mistakes and one thing is if you look at my history I've got a shed full of mistakes thousands of them but I can guarantee I won't make the same one again and that's kind of the whole the whole mechanism um, but we're obviously very conscious that um, as a business that is backed by private equity, we're actually making the investments on behalf of that entity, and then therefore the, there are, you know, there are considered investments and considered decisions. But um, we, we, we've got to return to the fact that we're building this thing for a reason, and that is to continue the growth of the business at an exponential level. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's um, probably even building on that. I think some of the pivots and changes are not just about screw ups; um, they're actually about looking at the market itself. So 
So, I mean, we looked out at the market and who's doing this stuff. Now, the big players, and you know, we all know who they are, so they, you know, that we, they can re- remain nameless. Um, there's uh, there's an old uh, an old mate of mine once co- coined a phrase that what makes you strong can also make you weak. Now, those big established players uh, that do the you know, the data center, virtualized infrastructure stuff, and, and are moving into cloud and, and what have you in, in a big way, um, they um, they have big long term legacy loyal revenue streams that are high margin which of course makes them strong it also makes them weak because they are reluctant to walk away from those things and actually pivot away from them so um, you know hence for us as effectively a startup that's starting up with the new paradigm and going hard at it um, it, it's a it's a pretty appealing prospect Mm -hmm. I mean from the pure things of outside technology right the mechanics of contracts for example with customers Mm. like if you look at cloud as an adoptive model from SaaS or platform services or traditional infrastructure it's all consumption based so the concept of having a five year fixed term fixed price contract with no variability in it is, is totally anti what the business outcome of going to the cloud means and there's this kind of turbo lag in the industry from a technology provider's perspective and a customer's perspective to go we want to go to the cloud we want all the variable cool stuff that goes with it but we want to guarantee price points and so there's this kind of juxtaposition of how do we take everyone on the journey so we can get the best value out of it but also realize that you know a good model for businesses like us is long-term contracts but the technology doesn't enable that so we've got to we've had to flip to getting really comfortable with lower margin and um, shorter term contracts to give the variability and drive the customer for value but that's anti-business but actually it's good business in, in, our, in our view because the customer gets what they want yeah puts the customer in the middle that's right yeah, yeah. 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 so walk us through um, some of those some of those challenges some of those pain points that you've you know you've, you've gone through on the journey particularly yep. you know in those in those earlier stages maybe you know to, to start with I reckon you, you could start with um, you know our original uh, proposition or working hypothesis was was all the major hyperscalers and then moving to focusing on one. Yeah, that's right. Look, um, I'm a big believer in the fact that um, if we copy somebody else, that's great, right? But the reality is, there's it, it, we have to be bold in the decisions that we make, and specialism and specialising in an industry that's so vast, like cloud. You know, I mean, okay, let me, let's take a little bit of a step back. Cloud actually means nothing, right? It's a blanket term for kind of technology that doesn't exist in your physical presence. People attach right? it to all sorts, <laughs> all sorts of different things, right? Which mean, might mean very different things. Right. That's right. Yeah. You know, and, and I have a job title, a previous job title, head of cloud. Like, I mean, really. Head of nothing. Head of, nothing, <laughs> head of, head of literally nothing, <laughs> which is fine with me. You know, that's absolutely fine. Though we realized that, and the team realized that specializing in something that's so vast is really, really quite important. And every one of the companies that we looked at in the market who were doing something with cloud were talking GCP, AWS, Microsoft Azure, on-prem, and the whole piece. And if you mentioned cloud, they could do it. The reality is we could see the writing on the wall that in within each one of those cloud providers, there are so many products and so many specializations and so much competency you need. You can't scale a business exponentially by going so broad. So we didn't. So we're not going to do AWS. We're not going to do GCP. We're not going to go down that road. We're purely going to go on what we believe is GCP being Google, uh, Google platform, platform. Yeah, yeah. platform. Yeah. Apologies. Just, just, just know the audience. Yeah. audience. I'll, I'll refrain from acronyms <laughs> for the rest of this. It's, it's to specialize on the Microsoft platforms. Mm. And the reason for that was um, New Zealand at the time, we believed, had a digital... There wasn't digital parity between New Zealand and Australia. The local hyperscale digital footprint or data center was in Australia from Microsoft's perspective. But they'd released um, a product called Microsoft Azure Stack, which was hyperscale in a box, effectively and brought workloads to New Zealand. And we made a significant investment in that in 2018 to be one of the first three, actually we were the first to land Azure Stack in New Zealand, to bring the edge of the cloud, the public cloud, to New Zealand. And that worked for us in terms of our strategy, and it it blocked two the top two board um, objections to hyperscale cloud, which was security and data sovereignty. Those two things, if you can figure that out, Mr. CIO, then we'll, we can take you to the cloud. But they couldn't because of data regulatory laws and, and uh, relationships. And even the emotive, stuff. you know, because in fact the yeah. regulations aren't that, that, that kind of restrictive to That's be honest right. now, but there's a yeah. very strong emotive drive still to have stuff. Yeah, do you want your data sitting somewhere else in the world yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or locally? And I yeah. think there was a transition, right? Because 
everyone sort of, uh, you know, the, the normal expectation was, well, my data sits on my servers, yeah. um, you know, on my premises yeah. or my own, you know, data centre. I can see the lights flashing. You know, I know whether it's it's working or not. If there's an issue, mm-hmm. drop of a hat, you know, I can have someone go and go and attend to it. And you know, there's, there's very much sort of mindset change that has to get from that to, you know, I don't have any servers to run to own to, yeah. you know, ma- maintain and. Yeah. Um, that, and that's that, the thing, right? That, that, that journey the, has sort of happened for a lot of people now. The, and it's not in a bad way, but there has been an obsession around the server. And the fact is the server is there to serve something. It's to serve an application, serve a database, and serve an outcome. And our job has actually been to reframe that for the customer going, look, you don't worry about the operating system. Don't worry about the server. That that has been so commoditized now. Actually, there's inherent trust in letting Microsoft drive this for you. You know, it's inherently secure. It's inherently um, certified for PCI DSS and ISO 27001. All these things you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to accredit yourselves for. It's inherent in the price point that you pay. So we've gone through an education journey on that. And the Azure Stack investment was to bring that capability to New Zealand, bring the edge of the cloud to to Auckland and to reduce those barriers to entry. Now, the pivot that we made, and I don't think this was a bad decision at all because we were ahead of our thinking and time in our thinking, was this is going to go gangbusters. And by the time that we effectively launched in Microsoft Data Center in New Zealand by our Azure stack, everyone's going to trip over themselves. And the reality was that wasn't the case. What we saw was people that wanted to work with Microsoft, it accelerated them to the cloud, but actually a lot of their workloads still ended up in Australia because that was ultimately where the majority of the workloads wanted to leverage all of the complex advanced workload technologies that, that were there. So was already, that a, was that a big investment then to get to get set up and then find that it was significant. You, you, yeah. you weren't really able to, um, you know. I don't, can you give us an a, idea? It was, seven, what, it was a seven figure investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was a big. Yeah, it was yeah. a big. So you, big you put a lot of money into that. Yeah. Um, and and this is the reality, isn't it, of transformation? Is you've got to actually lay down the money and. You aren't necessarily, you know. Probably in most cases, you're not going to know what the, what that outcome um, yeah, you lo- gotta, you gotta looks buy like. You, you right? Buy your ticket to, yeah. to the yeah. dance and yeah. uh, right. yeah. meet somebody <laughs> cool inside. <That's> right. <laughs> so the, the way that this has transpired, and you're exactly right to pay pay to play. Right? You've got to yeah. take the bold move. We made the we made the bold move. The business case was we're going to sell you know loads of this stuff and we're going to everyone's going to come to us first the, the, I mean in reality not it wasn't naive but it was the view was actually this is going to unlock a different conversation and the conversation it unlocked was okay I no longer need to worry about security I no need to wor- worry about data sovereignty because if I want it here I can have it here but now I trust the fact that I've got capability to get there yeah. and it landed it's in Azure it's easy for me to make the philosophical decision to shift here that's, as a customer that's yeah. correct and don't get me wrong the Azure Stack investment has been a success I mean yeah. it was its face, it's a great enabler for us and has a great conversation. But when Microsoft announced that they were going to be investing um, in their bringing three data centers to New Zealand in the next two and a half, three, three years, that's music to our to our ears because it means that the digitally being invested in, the, we don't longer need to carry the can of equality and make that investment again. And um, customers are going to get hyperscale workloads and not just infrastructure workloads in New Zealand. So, uh, the learnings were we have to be able to pivot and not obsess about the fact that these things are that the, we've made this decision and change. Yeah, and I think we got some benefits out of that that um, that, that we didn't expect either. Um, I mean, it definitely signalled that this little outfit that no one knew with a, a new brand name in the market um, actually was serious about this stuff because the other two providers were big guys um, um, who, who jumped on that Azure Stack thing for the same kind of reasons in terms of you know uh, mitigating this data sovereignty, the yeah. objections effectively. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, but the other thing it did was it actually brought us a lot of cred inside Microsoft um, and not just here, but globally, because yep. we were part of um, a, an early adopter program um, that was running for a good year or so um, after we signed on to it before we actually landed the first appliance. Yep. yep. So, you know, we've got great relationships right up through the through the machine and not just in the tech sphere, but um, yeah, it gave it, it gave us gave us cred. Um, and um, and the other thing was, uh, I, th- I think it, it it caused us, you know, obviously it caused us to go, you know, actually we'll, we won't do this whole multi-cloud thing, which was the original hypothesis. Um, so we'll, we'll sort of walk away from the each way bet in, in favour of a superpower, you know, i.e. a specialisation. Um, and, and, you know, again, that's that's kind of, 
um, based on on some of the learnings that heaps of people who will be you know listening listening to this conversation will um, will sort of go yeah okay I've been around for a long time and I've seen the swing from specialists to um, to the one stop shop the big guys who do everything and now that's pivoted again in a, in a, in a macro sort of mega trend sense to specialisation um, so uh, you know we jumped on yep. that too um, but yep. prior to that we were we were jumbling up everything too and then yeah we yep. do everything kind of proposition and also like, to be clear on that when we say specialisation we're talking about a specialisation where there's 120,000 products to specialise in mm. in the Microsoft mm. world so <laughs> and we work with partners to, for them to specialise in some of those 120,000 because we can't get across them all hence why Umbrella Connect was born we realised we could only really look at apps and infra when it comes to biz apps and everything else around the taxonomy we haven't got that scale we're not going to invest in that scale so we've we specialised in Microsoft and then realised actually we can only specialise in a subset of Microsoft and then we bring everybody else to the table to for that. Re- reality is we would end up lukewarm in capability and that's horrific for a customer when your managed service provider is learning on the job and that's not good for anyone. So we've, we've created an application and infrastructure superpower and managed services superpower but then we've, you, you were part of the journey of Umbrella Connect Paul so you know so the launch of all the partners we brought into that, that fold. So we can genuinely sit down with a customer and go, cool, we have New Zealand's best artificial intelligence partner here. We've got best business intelligence partner here, best application development partner here, and we'll help govern the whole piece to get to a good outcome, leveraging some of the 120,000 products. So um, it's def- When you talk about 120,000 products, you do all the different sort of um, skews, skews yeah, stock code units yeah, sort of things, I guess. There's, yeah. there's, there's variants, because the actual breakdown in terms of products is not, there's not, you know, there's not that many products, but I guess there's there's variations well, in terms of how you buy them, I suppose. So we've got nine um, parts of the taxonomy, which yeah. cover um, artificial intelligence, business intelligence, mm-hmm. CRM, security. Apps, security. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. I mean, I used the number for effect of there's 120,000, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so in terms of you know, to use an analogy like you've got a, a builder or a construction, they've got any, any materials they can use. It's how do you put them together to get to the outcome? And the fact is there's a lot of knowledge you need to be able to look around at 120,000 and go, how do I actually achieve what this customer wants with all of this toolkit? And you're right, there is a subset of product categories. Um, but not knowing the depth of that, those products can actually lead to very, very bad commercial outcomes, not leveraging the right products for the right job, uh, for the right person. And um, and we've probably all seen those sort of things happen, right? It's, right. it's very, very common. Yeah. I'll, give you an ex- I'll give you a very, very quick example. So Microsoft Teams has gone gangbusters throughout COVID because of the remote working situation. Um, we have seen customers run out and buy, micro, uh, buy Zoom licenses, not knowing that they're already paying for Microsoft Teams because no one has been there to handhold them through the journey of you need to enable this inside of your business. Business. That is a really quite a bad outcome. If you're a service provider working with a customer and they've gone and purchased Zoom licenses when they already have Microsoft Teams available on their Office 365 suite. Now, I'm conscious I'm going down a rabbit hole of product. But this is what actually our role is, is to make sure that you know what you've got in front of you and how you can enable it. And what the challenges that's, in, that's in, in front of you. Dave, uh, and, um, you know, I unashamedly tell, tell this story often um, because it, because it's actually really good, a good one. And Dave introduced this little mantra to us earlier on the piece that digital transformation, that very overused term, is not askew. Okay? It, it's not one thing. You can't go and pick one off a shelf So I'll have a digital transformation. It's different. It's it's a different shape and it involves different parts of that kind of taxonomy, yep. if you like, in every customer's context. Yeah, And that's kind of at the essence of this whole curating a set of specialists that cover the whole taxonomy and that can be landed in different configurations with different concentrations and emphasis here, nothing over there, um, in order to, to, to actually hit, hit what the imperative is for the customer. You know, So it genuinely puts the customer at the centre, which is, again, one of those things people like to say, oh, yes, we put the customer at the centre. We're very customer-centric. Um, yep. But... What we sell is what you will buy. Mm. And so what sort of pain has there been on that on that journey? Because you know, I guess you are where you are now with a you know, mix of different partners, but you know, two, three years ago you wouldn't have had that sort of uh, ecosystem yet. You know, you've, you've had to get going with the business, right? Yep. So you've had to get out and sell. Uh, well, we got going with our superpower, which is yep. managed service provider. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the reality check of what I'm constantly pushing myself to look at with our businesses, actually what business are we in? Because whilst 
the technology is great. Actually, our best relationships are all geared around trust. And actually, the technology is purely the materials at the builder's yard. Actually, the, what, the, what the customer actually wants from us is to support the outcomes for their business. How do they drive? How do they manage their costs? And how do they incrementally have IT adding I'll use a cliche, value back to the business, whatever that means. What it means is consultative engagement and listening. Two ears, one mouth, figure out what, where we can, we can go next. And managed services for us was our original superpower, and it has been for quite a while. Managed services was reactive, break, fix. Something breaks in the middle of the night and we all paid to get out and fix it. That now is right at the bottom of the pile. The it's real, table stakes. It's table stakes. It's not bottom of the park. It's not important. It's That's just right. table stakes. It's, yeah. but it's, it's a totally expected place to be. The reality of the value that customers are looking to us for now um, is strong governance, cost management and optimization, technology roadmaps, um, incident response when things go wrong. But the top of the list is kind of availability engineering, which is all of the tooling that you've got guarantee me availability so I continue to serve my customers. And even the conversation now around how many nines has this piece of infrastructure got is going away. Because hmm. actually, it's just expected that the applications are engineered for availability, and my applications are engineered for availability. So when we look at our managed services now, yes, there is an element of it which is incident response, but the, a lot of the value comes from how are you helping me govern my costs? How are you apportioning cloud costs to business, line of business and to projects? How are you helping me continually to pr- improve? And what's the service improvement plan that constantly drives against my obligations to the industry for compliance and to the board for risk management? Which, if you look at managed services, just raise a ticket and someone will fix it. It's totally polar apart from what managed services used to be. That modern service management framework is our superpower in that. We provide that front-of-house view of we're going to look after the whole estate. We're also going to bring the partners in to get good outcomes, but we're going to continually involve it over time based on what you need. And you know that may be cost reduction, which is anti-business. But is it anti-business? It maintains long-term customer lifetime value. So it's a bit of a so new world out there. How did you bring your first customer, you know, first handful of customers on board? How do you do that when you, when you don't have any you know, customers? You're going yeah. into a new field. You're building a new business. Well, of course, yeah. we, did, we did have customers, and that was those um, what we call managed compute customers right. from that old paradigm. Okay? Yeah. And we yeah. moved those into uh, into this business model. But uh, but interestingly, our first, mm. um, when, in the new paradigm, our first customer was, was effectively um, a, um, a pitch uh, that was a, a bit of a dry run, a practice run for us, and we surprised ourselves by uh, being awarded, you know, yep. contracted and uh, with uh, a, um, a very cool health provider. Um, here uh, and, and look, at, and it was uh, they, the CEO talked to us you know, afterwards, and we said, "You know, so why did we win? Because you obviously want to know why you win, just as you would like to know how you, why, why you didn't win." Um, and, and he actually said it was about trust. When, when we got in the room, um, they they actually trusted us. You know, they could see we didn't have to persuade them about the solidity of the platforms and all the rest of that because they were all kind of already there. This is a fairly progressive, um, not one of the DHBs. Yeah, um, and not to say they wouldn't like to be progressive. However, uh, it's a slow boat that one. Um, but uh, but yeah, so they, they were pretty progressive, and uh, and what they were after was trust. And you know, we went in um, our first sort of pitch with um, with a you know a monthly you know a, a non fixed term um, uh, sort of uh, um, uh, construct, you know, commercial mm-hmm. construct, mm-hmm. and they asked us for a five plus five, uh, you know, a five five years plus five years, mm-hmm. um, and we sort of fell off our chairs and went. Well, this isn't quite what we were expecting. You yeah, know, we're looking yeah. for you. We thought it'd be a consumption kind of thing. You know, you can get in, you can get out, and what have you. They actually wanted a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's quite real still. Yeah. And and in terms of other relationships, there must have been some that that didn't work out. Obviously, things that you yeah. you learn along the way from uh, from those in terms of well, that type of customer is not a right fit, or we've got to adjust, you know, X Y Z in yep. order to you know to fit the market. What sort of you know, learnings that you had on that on, from that perspective. Yeah, that's a really good, really good question. There's there's a view of you know what are you known for, right? And when we're building a business inside of a business, there's a small core team that know their new purpose, and then there's a current business that's continuing to op- to operate. That transition as you grow onto the other, it's a hard journey because there's everyone's carrying 
baggage. I carry baggage from my old jobs, and we all, we've, all, we've all got like experiences that we bring into into the new world. And customers, um, for the same, they know they know you from your previous experiences. And we've got customers that have been with us for twenty odd years in a hosting environment, and it's actually not expected of us from the work we've done, the marketing we've done, the conversations we've had for the last twenty five years. To have a advanced think, you know, advanced dialogue with them around hyperscale cloud. Because you want just you know, give us the operating systems and keep keep it to do keep what you're doing. What you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that has actually been one of the biggest learnings for us is that finding that standard customer to value proposition fit, but not trying to make, not trying to force it, is been the, one of the biggest learnings for us. Because at the end of the day, um, every business is at different levels of their digital maturity. And actually, some people and some organizations don't need to be as digitally mature because of the competitive landscape that we're in. And we can't force that that move. Um, so the process that that's pulled us into is whilst we can continue to have conversations, dialogue, we need to be taking the customers with us but not forcing change for such change's sake. And just because it's cool and because it's the best practice, that means it's the right thing to do. So we've moved to kind of a more model now of, of better practice versus best. What incrementally moves that moves the resiliency and availability of people's infrastructure to the right place without it becoming cost prohibitive and um, forcing change for change. change yeah, so. It must be pretty tempting when you've got you know, 80 plus thousand customers uh, that you're you know, selling domain names and mm-hmm. you know, bits and pieces of hosting to it. So, you know, it's a huge base, but you know, I'm, I'm presuming you know, predominantly those are fairly small uh, you know, transactions. That, you know, they, they renew their you know, domain every year or five years or whatever they're you know they're set on um, to to be tempted to go out and really try and push hard with with that audience who are buying you know it's a little bit like um, you know someone selling um, you know, ice blocks at the beach and then uh, they're saying oh you know you can you can you know trust me to uh, um, you know I don't know run your, your vehicle fleet or something you know very very different sort of you know businesses to a big degree yet you've got all these connections so how you know how have you you taken that 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 journey because the uh, you know obviously there is a there's a bit in the middle there where there's um you know, a, a natural customer to bring across where maybe you know you're hosting you've been hosting virtual servers and so on to move them into say microsoft cloud um, but there's a yep. whole lot of others that you know it must must be tempting to think we've got to sell to this up front you know and uh, absolutely, we you know we took the opportunity to um, to, to push the Umbrella Connect platform, which is relatively new, which is about relevant content that's actually contextually um, showing or creating awareness in our local market here of what's possible here. It's not a sales pitch; it's an awareness play. Um, and um, yeah, you're right. So you you know you, you'd be, be folly to actually go out and try and flog a proposition, um, to, particularly to predominantly very small businesses. Yeah. I mean, these folks don't have, I mean, even up to, you know, 10, 20 people and so on. There's no IT manager. There's no, you know, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a buy-sass products and so on. Everyone provisions shit off their phones. Excuse my French. And, um, uh, yeah, so, so we absolutely took the opportunity to do that and to raise the bar in terms of awareness um, because eventually that will actually come around and it'll close and people move around and, and go hither and yawn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the fact of you know, have, having had a, a footprint of a business for 25 years there's a good asset and good set of relationships like you like you mentioned the realities are there are some big meaty businesses in our domains business mm-hmm. no longer totally. right and the fact is we look through that the cost of list and we go oh okay that's that is a one of the top 500 companies in new zealand that's one of the big banks although they're buying domains from us great um okay it's a relationship and the fact is that our role is not to influence, but it's definitely there to educate. And the fact is that we have a good value proposition in ourselves, but so does every other technology business on the planet. And Umbrella Connect, for those of you who've not been on um, UmbrellaConnect.com, have a look, and you see us shamelessly not just talk about Microsoft there. You'll see AWS content, Google content, Salesforce content, Veeam, Megaport, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. They're all it's all driven by the market leaders and we step back from an umbrella standpoint and make sure that we're educating with the New Zealand context about what great yeah, things are happening. Curating you know, that way, yeah. Cur- curate, curating that. And if the end result is that someone is inspired to take action, then those vendors and those partners are there to support that narrative. Uh, the 
like we're all, at the end of the day, we're all consumers, and we've all got emotion about how we make buying decisions. But we also need to know what good looks like. And if I am a business who is in a similar industry, and I can see that they've done this with their CRM and they've grown their profits by forty percent, I may want to investigate how they got there. And that's the role of Umbrella, yeah. Umbrella Connect. And look, yep. it actually takes us full circle, to be honest, um, back to why our backers um, are so enthusiastic about, about the proposition is that this is, um, this is a business strategy. It's not about trying to take a, a bigger slice of the pie. It's actually about genuinely growing the pie you know, in line with that mega trend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I, I think there aren't too many uh, businesses that have, that have really committed to, you know, educating at the at the same level that you have. I mean, this has been a pretty unique in the market with Umbrella Connect, you know, creating creating content. It doesn't. It's not you know all about promoting a you know product that you can sell. Um, seems like you've really got some yeah, quite fascinating partnerships. I mean, with us with the New Zealand Tech Podcast, um, you know, you've got yeah. yeah Really top-notch, you know, journal, journalists in, involved creating good content, um, and then those, you know, brand partnerships, and I, I don't know how those, those work, but it, it sort of, you know, fits together um, to create something really, really interesting. And yeah, you know, when I, I guess when I look at look around the, you know, the, the tech sector locally, and you know, have different uh, discussions with brands, and some of them are like, oh, well, you know, we we just like to sort of, you know, stick stick to ourselves, and you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't talk too much sort of outside of our circles, um, whereas you've kind of you know, gone really to the other extreme in terms of uh, you know, connecting and, and, and feeding out good um, you know, content and yeah. Uh, yeah, I think mm. it's absolutely fascinating and I'm kind of you know, quite keen to, to, to look in over the, you know, over the years yep. ahead to, to see how that pans out. Now the other bit that I'm interested in is, is the partnerships because you've, you know, you've talked about um, you know, this sort of um, managed service provider type you know, model as the sort of start of the business um, but I look at, at your partnerships, and there are other managed service providers that are uh, that are in there potentially, you know, uh, uh, you know, competing for the same customer, um, and then other other sort of partnerships. So, oh, well, the, the, the good old uh, you can't be a distributor and a direct provider. Yeah. yeah. yeah so how how you know how have you um, you know how have you navigated that? Yeah. I know you know one or two um, you know that that I know on the sector. I said, oh, I've noticed your, you know your name on you know the. Um, um, umbrella website, you know, what business are you doing? They're like, you know, and a couple of people said, well, we're not sure yet, you know, but but we're we're um, we're evaluating that. We're uh, uh, you know whether we're in there for the beginning of this um, yeah, journey, I guess, on Umbrella Connect. Um, how do you expect that to play out, and how do you sort of you know make that yep. so that it's a it's kind of a win win? Yes, yeah, so that's, that's a good point because we've not spoke about a different segment of customer that we that we service. So, so traditionally, Umbrella has worked with customers, end customers directly, and as part of the catch, coined catchphrase of digital transformation is not skew, we actually realised to succeed and enable the the ecosystem that is in New Zealand of managed service providers, there needs to be kind of a glue that sticks this whole thing together. Because ultimately the customer, um, the best source of reference to get to anyone that knows what they're doing is Google. Uh, and that, for me, in an age of trying to build trust and relationships, who's paying more to be at the top of the Google is not a good indicator of trust. Yeah. Right. So we wanted to remove that and create a trusted ecosystem. And to do that, we needed to approach Microsoft and request distribution rights because there was only a few distributors of Microsoft product. And distribution by way of being able to set up and run a channel. That's right. Yep. Um, and we pitched up to Microsoft and said we'd like to operate a channel um, because we feel that distribution is broken. We feel like digital transformation is not a stock-keeping unit. You can't buy one, as Michael said, and we want to be consultative with Microsoft product only to do that. And pain point we could see across the industry I and mean, you, you operate a managed service provider business yourself Paul is that trying to establish a Microsoft practice is actually quite hard you need to understand relationships in Microsoft you need to know the funding models you need to know how to be profitable you need to train your staff you need to get accredited you need to get competencies then you need to learn how to bill your customers it, there's a whole heap of somewhere stuff. in there you've got to deliver some uh, great value uh, to your customers exactly right? and, but, and that's it's, all that's a, a lot of things to navigate right. yeah, yeah so we want actually 
there are so many traditional managed service providers that want to do what we've done because we've done it to ourselves is move to the hyperscale let's take the IP that we've built the learnings that we've got all of the automated systems that we've got and instead of using it for ourselves roll it out to anyone that wants to have a business in a box for Microsoft and developing their Microsoft practice so what you're seeing with your relationships is people working with us who want to get onto the hyperscale bandwagon and drive that for the value for the customers but they're starting their journey with us of how do they start and grow and then optimize their practices for delivering one of our nine parts of the taxonomy. Mm-hmm. So that allows the ecosystem to continue to evolve. And we, well, I say start, grow, and optimize because it's an internal language that we've got of partners coming in, we're getting them going, we're educating them, we start them getting from zero dollar to one and then onward to drive that that partner partner enablement and um, the propositions that our partners have feature heavily on Umbrella Connect which takes away another pain point of how do you market to the industry and a lot of small businesses haven't got great marketing dollars and also marketing talent is hard to find so we've got shared capability for marketing as well so we're driving that value for we're amplifying the propositions amplifying our, mm-hmm. amplifying propositions. Yeah. it is worth uh, Dave I'm, I'm packing a bit for Paul this whole thing about so how do you stop there being kind of wars and turf wars if you like inside the ecosystem yeah because you know, we have yeah. got a frame for that um, this comes down to culture yeah. and the culture of how we want to do business and how customer obsessed we want to be and there's been instances where partners have approached us and the culture doesn't fit for the best intent of of, of, the, of the customer in particular it's those those um, providers who come along and say yes I, I get it but who owns the customer yeah now, anyone who says who owns the customer is not going to fit the culture here yeah yeah so not that we there's no vetting for our partners at all but we enter into you know our p- partner agreement is is quite clear it's where you're entering into a culture and intent of playing fairly not cutting each other up the knees and referral business that is there to grow the size of, of the pie and if that's the intent then our partners succeed really really well there's some fantastic examples out there um, so calling out a few to walk um, like the Walker Scott team down in down in um, down in Wellington one of our most successful partners through really just leaning in and bringing other partners into their deals without us being involved so we see that exponential joining of dots and them teaming up with other partners to to drive an outcome for that and it's that's fantastic to see and that's exactly what that uh, the model's designed designed to do and we've you know we in terms of mistakes again look, we've we've had to eject some partners from the ecosystem there's not worked it's not played well you know there's been there's been an element of compete and tension like okay if this is how it's going to go it's not going to work for the customer so let's let's end that relationship now but like all relationships they need need managing and good robust adult discussions to to continue to grow there's probably one other aspect to that too and that is that um, um, whilst this is an ecosystem that we've curated and, and continue to, to curate um, we're not um, we're, we're not sort of top dog per se mm. so our superpower our direct business our managed service provider business is one of the partners in that ecosystem and it is no more equal than any of the others um, there isn't a, um, a design in that in that ecosystem that sees us priming all the deals and so on that's just not how it works it, this is, and it goes back to this thing that the competencies that are required to address a problem or an imperative for a customer are going to have different different configurations and so on. So any one of those providers, and there's now getting up towards 70 odd partners now, um, is, is, a, is an entry point, is a potential entry point, either because they've got a specific competency that fits a problem or, a, or an opportunity, um, or they've got a relationship that's long-standing and some loyalty and so on, and that actually just opens up and, uh, you know, the field for the rest of our partners you know and as Dave said the very cool thing um, and you know I guess we're kind of 18 months or two years almost yep. 18 months into uh, the operation of the ecosystem um, the cool thing is we're seeing partners look at discussing and, and working on things bilaterally and we're not even involved which is fantastic yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I, know, I know your original question was about compete yeah. and uh, that's uh, the taxonomy which we spoke about is actually the core of that that um, we don't look to recruit partners that absolutely fully overlap so yep. we've got this view of creating the the New Zealand map of competency which has got regional coverage and taxonomy coverage so for instance um, artificial intelligence in agritech yeah. artificial intelligence in health we can have two AI partners but they don't want to be in the same sector and um, that really drives that view that actually those partners can lean on each other for shared skills but different 
verticals. Well, look, so. I think over time too, um, we'll all kind of mature and grow up a little bit. Um, we're, we've already seen this in the last you know ten mm. years. Um, the industry's grown up a lot, um, and uh, and 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 organisations that traditionally have sort of said, well, you know, we'd never get in the same room with those guys over there. We'll we'll, we'll begin to realise that we're all making the pile lot bigger. Mm. You know, so so where where will you be in a, in a decade's time? Is this the sort of thing where where you know you start pulling all these entities together and you you know, you you own them all, or well, the you risk know, of what, acronyms. What, 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 we have, we definitely have our our BHAG, which <laughs> Dave can tell you about. Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the okay, <laughs> embarrassingly, the, the BHAG that I set last year was become part, Microsoft Partner of the Year, and then we won it three months later. So I'm not we're halfway through to the BHAG, but <laughs> we've got aspirations to grow a hundred million dollar business as part of the, the BHAG over the next 10, yeah. 10 years. Um, acquisition will feature as part of that. That will ultimately that's how we're going to achieve some scale. The realities of the 10-year plan about what Umbrella looks like in the 10 years, and I, I do see us growing in, in our own practices um, on the edge cases, specifically in the, the emerging technology space. The realities are there are a lot, a lot of talent out there that actually would really benefit from a vehicle like Umbrella, and we can accelerate their growth and accelerate our growth through JVing or acquisitions acquisitions that way. Our aspiration is not to become a one-stop shop. Our aspiration is to be a vehicle to success for the customer. And um, at the end of the day, the customer's the one paying the bills, they're the one that's in, in charge, and we're not there to dictate to them what they need. It's the opposite way around. So we'll continue to morph and change to get value to customer fit. Um, the core thing to this is we're currently working with a technology profile that didn't exist five years ago. So therefore, to say what umbrella we like in, in ten years' time is actually pretty much impossible. What will quantum look like in five years? Who knows? So, you know. So we've got all of yeah, these things coming yeah, in. The outer bounds for us is five years, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, you have, you have you have to you know be looking ahead, right? And you have to be doing what you can. But you know that there's going to be changes and pivots yeah. uh, along the way, and you've got to keep a few secrets as well, which is is, is, is fine. You can only see as far as the uh, <laughs> as far as the horizon, but um, direction of travel yeah. is something that you can. You know, I think you can yeah. you can pick and plot. Yeah. Now I'm a little bit curious, um, and we, we probably just about need to finish up. But uh, I'm a little bit curious about this transition of brand because there's you know lots of different sort of you know names in terms of, um, or you could probably you know you name them free parking and mm-hmm. et cetera et cetera. These these different brands have been we were around in the market for for a long time, yep. and then um, yeah came together under this uh, the the umbrella brand. And so, and then there was, you know, I guess for me, maybe a couple of years ago, I started becoming aware of this. Um, and I, I, I guess I primarily thought of you, you know, your biggest surface area being domain names as, as domain name provider, you know, as, as becoming, you know, this company which had some, you know, reasonably you know, high end sort of, you know, specialist skills at yep. the other end of the scale. Uh, and and now you've sort of, I guess, divested, you know, divested of, yep. of, of that business yep. um, looks as though there's been some sort of tilts and turns you know in that journey story, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and there's, there's probably the other aspect you know you mentioned Dave around you know Google people jump on Google you know at the moment if you go and search for Umbrella on Google um, you would think Umbrella is not a, not a very successful capable firm because you know the, the Google reviews are reflective of as often often happens online right some Somebody that's bought a domain name or you know low end service that's expecting the earth, they're probably paying you fifty bucks a year or something uh, for it. So those don't line up with you know with the new business, yeah. right? So there's a there's a bit of a journey, I suppose, ahead on yeah, that front. Yeah, look, I think it's fair to say. Um, well, it is it is fair to say. So, so we we had this kind of combined proposition which we decided we would we would we would separate and bifurcate. Um, yeah, four four years ago, three and a half four years ago. Um, so we've actually operationally separated the online and the cloud pieces of the business um, gee, two and a half, almost three years ago. Um, and uh, the online uh, business went to market as a house of brands, mm, free mm, parking, yes. domains for less, discount domains, open host, and the, the digital agency that we uh, effectively you know, commercialised our own SEO capability, which was Synapse Search. That is the business, that house of brands that we have divested um, to a specialist in, in that game. Yep. Um, and um, you know, back in you know, two, two Two and a half years ago, um, we we 
decided that Umbrella would be the brand under which we, we went to market for cloud. Um, now, that had, had a little bit of overhang because there was a very small part of, uh, of online proposition that's, that also had uh, had the Umbrella brand. Uh, but we've you know we've sort of steadily moved that yeah, moved that off, and uh, and now it's, it's singularly focused. The only Umbrella, the only cloud business that we have is Umbrella, yeah. and the only, mm. the only thing Umbrella is is a cloud business. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but, to you, but you can't change history, right? That's yeah, the, that's the right. fact is there, is there is a digital footprint of history yes, absolutely. that yeah. exists on, uh, on Google that, um, that it, look, it's not a handbrake for us, it's just no. a case of yep. no, we, a lot of the customers are aware, because we're very transparent about it, that up until um, you know last month, uh, Umbrella owned free parking, DigiWeb and WebDrive, and, oh, sorry, DigiWeb and um, Domains for Less. And um, they carry reviews which have got the umbrella name against them. And uh, it's we don't need to explain it away. It is it is history. Um, but uh, the more concern is if we get anything that's related to the current proposition, yeah. which <laughs> the, I've got to explain that one away, which is not so easy. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Absolutely, you know, fascinated to hear about the story. Um, is there anything else that you want to add before we uh, before we finish up? Only that it's just a pleasure supporting the podcast, Paul, because you've been with us for the, for the last what nine months, eight nine months on this journey. So just you know, just a thank you from from my yeah, perspective because it's, it's great to I listen in every time you guys post. So really, really good to see the work that you guys are doing. It's great. a pleasure to be supporting it. Oh, thank you. No, we, we certainly appreciate you know your support. Um, the other brands that we've you know had with us on the on this. Um, you know, journey as as you know, like everything, we're working. How do we how do we pivot and and adjust what uh, what we do and you know the range of podcasts and the network. But um, yeah, huge thank you to um, um, Umbrella Connect, um, other brands in terms of uh, Spark, Vodafone, Vocus. Um, H and uh, and HP, um, so yeah, thank you to them for for their support. And look, I've really enjoyed this discussion today. And I think you know, as we move forward, we definitely want to be you know keeping these sorts of discussions going, delving more into uh, you know, those that are uh, you know bringing change within the sector, doing new things, yep. hearing the stories, so that we can educate each other um, and really you know continue to uh, to push New Zealand forward and you know, and and learn those uh, those lessons. So. I hope everyone's en- en- enjoyed the enjoyed listening, um, and uh, there's been some good uh, takeaways in there. And I'm, you know, I'm sure every, everybody will have, you know, probably picked up different things. But yeah, thank you very much for uh, for the time. It's been cool. excellent. Good. Thank you. Good stuff. Thanks. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.